Super Bowl Sunday 2023. I don't know if you normally pray throughout your day, every day, but today would be a good day to do that if you're wearing red and you want the Chiefs to win. I'm not sure if God is a football fan. If he is, he certainly would be rooting for the Chiefs. Um, but we're going to pray um, that our guys will, man, will do what, uh, what God created so many of them to do. We're in Matthew chapter 19 today for a brand new series that we're going to be in the next six weeks titled Broken People, Broken Sexuality, Broken Marriage, and the Gospel of Grace. And we're going to hit on some difficult life situations and experiences in the midst of this series, but we're going to wrap them all. Every Sunday we'll end with, but how does the grace of God apply to and cover this? I think it's going to be a good six weeks. It'll be a hard six weeks. Please stay with us all six weeks. We are not actually talking much about marriage in this series because the text is not really about that, but we are having a marriage and a relationship conference in the middle of the series because we don't just want to talk about the hard things without giving you some advice. So for $50, Friday night, February 24th, Saturday morning, February 25th, you can come and be a part of that marriage and relationship conference if you're engaged, the cheapest, best marriage counseling that you'll get. Um, if you think you might get engaged cheap, uh, free, pre-marital, pre-engagement counseling. Going to be an incredible two days. For those of you who watch us online from across the world, you can be a part of this. You can go to the events section on our website and you can register for this conference. It will not be posted on YouTube at the end of the day, so you got to be a part of the conference to get the content. As of this morning at 8 a.m., we still had room for 100 couples. So I'm not sure after the 8.30 service if we filled up completely or not, but you can go and register in our Connection Center. We'd love for you and your spouse, you and your fiance, you and your boyfriend or girlfriend to be a part of what we're doing. Um, it's going to be a powerful weekend. And then that Sunday, our guest for the marriage conference, Pastor Daniel Floyd and his wife, Tammy. Pastor Daniel, on February 26th, will be speaking a message titled, Tips for a Hard-Hearted Marriage. Um, I know there are some of you sitting next to somebody right now who you're married to, who the condition of your marriage right now, because of some things, is a little hard-hearted. Um, I think we can help you in this series, help your marriage be better in 2023. As we get in, dig into Matthew chapter 19, we're going to hit a lot of stuff in the next six weeks. So kind of take, take a deep breath, roll up your sleeves. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12 for six weeks. And here is what they say. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, you might underline those two words, these things. I'll give you a recap of what that was in a minute. He left Galilee and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God joins together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one 
who can accept this should accept it. So much learning in the next six weeks. Um, Let me start today by putting Matthew 19 in context because between Matthew 18 and 19, we have three pretty dominant shifts. One, we've moved 65 miles south from the region of the Galilee in northern Israel down to southern Israel. We are now in the Judean desert just across the Jordan River from Jericho. Um, We've moved from Jesus communicating to professional farmers and fishermen who maybe were mostly uneducated, to now Jesus talking with the religious elite for Jerusalem who were highly trained in biblical scholarship. And we've gone from people celebrating the kingdom of God to people challenging the king of that kingdom. So like everything has changed between Matthew 18 and 19. We read in Matthew 18, 1, um, when Jesus had finished saying these things. What are these things? Just a quick recap from last summer. These things were the messages and parables about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13 all the way through Matthew 18. We had 21 messages between Easter of last year and back to school Sunday where we just kind of dug in and we saw what Jesus taught us about this new kingdom that he was launching. Uh, We learned some kingdom parables that taught us kingdom foundations. We learned the condition of people's heart and how they connect to God. We also learned about the condition of the world and why it's so broken. We learned some kingdom profiles. Like we met some people in the Bible and said, what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven? So we looked at John the Baptist and we looked at the apostle Peter and we looked at the disciples and we looked at the religious leaders of the day rejected Jesus. And um, we looked at the disciples and the 4,000 people that Jesus fed. And we learned a lot about how different types of people react to Jesus different ways. And then we learned about a kingdom mindset. And we said the primary kingdom mindset of people who follow Jesus is this. You don't see anything in life clearly until you clearly see Jesus. And once you clearly see Jesus, things begin to make sense spiritually. And you realize that you're a representative of Jesus. So we, we spent 21 messages celebrating the king and his kingdom. We celebrated that we got to be a part of it. We celebrated that we get to be on mission. And we open Matthew 19 and we hear a bunch of people say, yeah, 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 blah, 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 kingdom, 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 um, whatever. We have a question about divorce. And what you need to realize as we jump into this text, number one, is that these Pharisees, their goal was tension, not truth. These Pharisees had zero devotion to the king, but they desired to bring division to the kingdom. They were not trying to worship Jesus. They really didn't even want Jesus to answer their question. They were just trying to figure out how to get less people to worship Jesus. Their goal was tension, not truth. Their goal was division, not devotion. We see that in verse three. It says some Pharisees came to test him. They already knew their answer to their question. They wanted to see if Jesus would get it right. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus responded with three words, haven't you read? In these three words, Jesus is reminding the Pharisees that truth is not found in what we feel or what we think about what has been written in Scripture. Truth is found by what has been written in Scripture. Amen? Truth is not found in, here's what the Bible says. What do you think about that? Truth is not found in, here's what the Bible says. How does that make you feel? Truth is found in what has been written in Scripture. And very specifically, when you're dealing with issues that culturally bring tension to the church, the conversation is not what do we feel about what's been written. The conversation has to begin with what has been written. What does God say about this issue? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul is teaching his young apprentice Timothy 
how to work through leading people spiritually. And he said, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He would say, Timothy, our foundation for everything we know and believe is the word of God. And every time we have a contentious question, we have to go back and say, what did God say? Listen, God's Bible is eternal, which means it's always impactful, amen? God's word is timeless, which means it's always timely. Christians don't ask the question, what did God say? Christians ask the question, what does God say? Because what he said then, he means now, and he means forever, amen? We need a few more amens in this sermon or it's gonna get uncomfortable for you and for me. Like what God said, God still means, amen? Like, we, we believe that God told us his plan for the world in our life in the scripture. So the Pharisees say, well, what do you think about this issue? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You should ask what has been written about this issue. We've seen the rise and fall of almost every world empire on almost every continent you can have since Jesus came. They have all fallen. His word still stands. The Roman Empire fell. The Spanish and the French and the British empires of Europe fell. Um, the, the Ottoman Empire of the Middle East fell. The Ming and Qing dynasties of Far Eastern Asia fell. The Enlightenment came and went. The Industrial Revolution came and went. Um, the, the Scientific Revolution came and went. The dot-com bubble came and busted. And the Word of God still continues. So there are lots of things that are going to come and go, but the Word of God, according to Scripture, stands forever. Amen? Like, that's what the Bible says. So they try to ask Jesus a question that's going to bring tension. And Jesus says, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now, the raging debate of the day 2,000 years ago was this question. When can we get divorced? It was a valid spiritual question, and it came from a valid text of Scripture. Jesus had been teaching on the kingdom. They said, let's take the most divisive topic of the day, and let's test Jesus so we can trap Jesus. When do you think people should get divorced? This question comes from one verse, really one phrase in one verse in Deuteronomy 24.1. In Deuteronomy 24.1, Deuteronomy, a word that means second law. So the second time Moses wrote the law and expanded on the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20, Moses wrote, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. The words indecent about her had captured the cultural attention, and there were different schools of rabbis who interpreted this phrase different ways. A conservative rabbi by the name of Shammai said that the phrase something indecent means this, and it can only mean this. If your wife has an affair with another man and then goes and marries him, you are free to get divorced and go marry somebody else. That's the only time that God would want you to get divorced. There was a kind of a liberal progressive rabbi at the time named Hillel, who had by far the largest following of kind of Orthodox Jews in his day and Jesus' day. And he would say this, the phrase something indecent means anything you don't like. Anything you don't like. We actually have writings that have lasted from the rabbi Hillel that say, if your wife burns the toast, you can divorce her. Guys don't laugh too loud. For those of you laughing, we have a marriage conference, February 24 and 25. I'd encourage you, I'd encourage you to consider it so that you make it till March 1. Yeah, there it is. Our team in the back is on it today, man. 
Like that was the raging debate of the day. So they were like, Jesus, which one of these guys you with? You with the conservative guy, you with the liberal guy? Can, can we only get married if our wife leaves and never comes home? Or can we get married or can we get divorced if she burns the toast? And Jesus says, you are asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question spiritually. He said, what you should be asking is not what do I think about what has been written. What you should be asking is what has been written. Listen, in areas of cultural tension, the question is not, what do you think about what the Bible says? The question is, what does the Bible say? Amen? And our area of cultural tension is different, but is very much raging today. Ours would probably not be divorced. We'll speak to that in a couple weeks. But there's no doubt the area of sexuality raging today in the local church is how the local church is going to engage the LGBTQ community in their quest to follow Jesus, become his disciples, and serve him. And there's a lot of noise around those areas. And there's a lot of tension around those areas. And I will say this at the very outset of this series, you are going to face tension from your friends just because our church is talking about this. First, from the Christians. You're going to face tension from Christian friends who are less than comfortable with how big we believe the grace of Jesus is. And they're going to say, man, I, like, I, I just don't know that. I, I cannot behave with the grace that your church behaves in. I think it's dangerous. Can't, can't go that direction. You will have some Christians through this series that may cut you out of their life because you go to this church. I anticipate every week of this series, someone will walk into this church and never come back because of the tension created by what we're going to teach. I don't know that Christians created cancel culture, but they certainly were early adopters. And like, they're the varsity. They're really, really good at it. Um, like, Disney should not feel bad. Christians started canceling Christians far before they started canceling, like, Disney. Uh, if you don't believe that, look in the dictionary under the word denominations. Christians love to divide from one another for, like, whatever reason possible. I have Christian friends in my life who because of what I believe on ministering in grace to people in the gay community who have said can't be a part of your church anymore. And we've got people in our church who belong to organizations and small groups and friends and discipleship communities who your friend is going to say, like, if you stay at your church, we're going to cut you out. That's going to happen. The gay community also knows um, how to do cancel culture well. And you're going to have some of your friends in the gay community or some of your friends who are really close to people in the gay community who when they hear our church say that we believe spiritual identity should determine sexual behavior, that they'll say, um, I don't care what your church believes, but I, I do want you to know this. If you keep going to that church, you're out of our life for good. I've also have friends um, who have done that to me. I have friends who have said, Christian, because of how gracious you want to be, I don't think me and my family can be a part of your church. We love you, but I just can't be a part of your church. It's okay. I've also had friends that say, listen, like we love what your church is doing, but I have a friend, I have a family member, I have a coworker, I have a neighbor um, who if we keep going to journey, they're never gonna talk to us again. We're gonna have to separate. For, like I understand that stuff's gonna happen. This is a contentious place to live in. Here's what I believe. Our church is not gonna reach people on the fringes of those arguments. We're not gonna reach people who wanna cancel people. We are going to reach people who want to love people. I believe there is a lane of ministry that you can run in where you believe the Bible and behave like Jesus. I believe there's a lane you can run where you believe the Bible and you behave like Jesus. 
People who are afraid to be around sinful people and behave like Jesus, they're probably not going to run in our lane. People who choose not to believe what the Bible says, they're not going to run in our lane. We're not going to end the debate. We're not going to reach everyone. But I'm telling you, if there's anyone in this lane from the gay community who believes the Bible and is willing to behave like Jesus, they are like in the target of our mission. Amen? That's like who God has called us to be as a church. And we just have to know that like that... That is the reality and the tension of our day. My question for you, if you, like if you have the guts, the courage for six weeks to stay with this series, is once you learn the truth, can you face the tension? Once you learn the truth, can you face the tension? It's someone last week who came up to me and you're like, man, Pastor Christian, tell me you're not going to speak on money again next week. And I was like, I ain't, gonna, <laughs> I ain't speaking on money next week. Um, <laughs> there's some people who are going to wish I was speaking on money, like... Please, just ask me for $100. Like, no, no, we're in Matthew chapter 19. So the Pharisees' goal, the Pharisees' goal was tension. They weren't looking for truth. Division, not devotion to Jesus. But Jesus' goal, number two, was grace and truth. Folks, you can have both. You can believe the Bible and behave like Jesus. It's not easy, and it's not applauded. But you can believe the Bible and behave like Jesus. Look at verses four through eight. Jesus said, haven't you read? Starts with truth. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man's gonna leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God's joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, now here's his grace. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. Listen, as only Jesus can do, he, he takes what was in the very beginning, what is in the here and now, and he says, let's figure out how to operate in this space between with grace from above. Like, let's, let's remember what God created. Let's remember how we broke it. Well, let's figure out in this space how to minister with grace that is from above. Now, for us to understand this conversation, we have to get into it at kind of street level with the Pharisees and Jesus. Here the question that was asked. Here is the question. The question was, Jesus, when does God want us to get divorced? Here the question that Jesus is being asked. At what point does God want us to get divorced? And Jesus is saying, the fact that you're asking that question tells me you've not studied enough about marriage. You need to be asking questions about marriage, not divorce. Your question shows me that you've, like, you have missed who God is and what God's trying to do in your life. Not that Jesus says you can't ever get divorced, but he's like, if you start with divorce instead of marriage, you are missing the point. So watch what Jesus does. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to stop trying to build new truth from the foundation of sin as their means to righteousness. He said, I, I don't want you to build your theology based on what is right now. I need you to base your theology based on what was in the beginning. Like you cannot make judgments about who God is in the box of life that you live in right now. You have to make judgments about God on everything we know about God from eternity past to eternity future. Um, I was a student pastor in the late 90s, almost through 2010. In the late 90s through 2010, there was a movement sweeping the church in the student ministry world for abstinence, for purity, 
Um, True Love Weights, maybe some of you did the True Love Weights thing, maybe some of you got a purity thing. I don't think it's the national movement now that it was in the late 90s or 2000s, but it was a big deal then. So like every student ministry was engaged in trying to help kids understand that they needed to wait until they were married to engage in sexual activity so that they could honor their spouse and honor God, which means the most asked question in the history of student ministry in the 90s and in the 2000s was this question. Hey, hey Pastor Christian, um, how far is... Yeah, so some of you ask your youth pastor that question. Um, here's, what I was, here's what I would always tell my kids. I would always say, um, are you thinking of something in your head when you ask that question? And most of them be like, yeah, no, but don't do that. Um, like, whatever thing you want to do that makes you ask that question, probably don't do that one. And that is a good place to kind of start. Here's what kids are asking. They're saying, how much sin can I commit and still be okay with God? That's the question. How much sin can I commit and still be okay with God? This is what the Pharisees are asking. The Pharisees were asking this question. um, When can I get divorced and still be righteous before God? That's the question. When is it okay with God that I get divorced so that I can get divorced but still like really be right in the eyes of God? And Jesus says like, you don't understand. You don't understand how life and the world work. So he says, we got to go back to the beginning so I can answer your question. See, Jesus wanted to apply the truth to all sins so that Pharisees might understand the grace of God. Jesus didn't want to give them old truth. Let me tell you about what was. He wanted to give them the truth. Let me tell you what is. The question was, can I get divorced and still, and still be okay with God? And Jesus' answer was, not if you understand real theology. However, once you understand real theology, you're also going to understand sin and grace, and you're going to realize, yes, you actually can get divorced. Yes, you can in your past have gone through all kinds of sexual sin. And yes, you can still be connected to God. Not because of you, but because of him. So Jesus says, let's go back to the beginning. Here's what we need to understand. The plan and purposes of God are best revealed in the world God created, in the world that God has promised to recreate not the world that we have broken. Let me say it again. The plan and purposes of God are best revealed in the world that God created and the world that God promised to recreate. If you want to know what that looks like, go to Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. First two chapters of the Bible, last two chapters of the Bible is what the world would look like and what people would look like if God was in charge. The rest of the Bible is what it looks like when we try to be in charge. So first two chapters, last two chapters... That's the world God created and is recreating. Everything else, that's the one we've broken. So the question that came to Jesus, when should we get divorced? That's a broken world question. Jesus said, you're basing your theology on what is, not on what was. So let's go back to the beginning and learn a little bit about sin and about grace. When do you get divorced? Let me say this. Broken world problem? Jesus does provide a gracious answer. For those of you in the room who've been divorced once, Twice, three times, four times, five times. Jesus met a woman at a well in John chapter four who'd been divorced five times. And man, he loved her with everything that he had. He redeemed that brokenness and soul when he set her future off in the right direction. Like, you need to understand you're not beyond the grace of God. When should we get divorced? Well, you shouldn't. But God's so gracious that he knows sometimes marriages go bad that Here's, here's what that's going to look like. We'll talk through that in a few weeks. 
But he said, let's go back to the beginning and learn who God is and how God loves. Let's look at the plan and the purpose of marriage, sexuality, and people. To do that, we gotta go to Genesis chapter two. We're gonna read the text that Jesus quoted when he said, have you not read that at the beginning, Jesus quotes John, or Genesis chapter two, Jesus says, to talk about divorce, we've got to talk about marriage. To talk about marriage, we have to go figure out what God wanted with marriage. So let's read what God wanted with marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we read the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and we see life the way God intended it. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Please see life the way God intended it in Genesis chapter two. I'm gonna give you five things. You can kind of fill them in while I just run down the list. How did God intend life? When were we, when, when, Jesus, when can we get divorced? She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's first talk about the way God intended life before divorce. We see God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and he provided a world where they not only had intimacy with God, but they had trust in God. See, Adam and Eve woke up from their first day of creation, looked around and thought this place is been here longer than I have. This God has been here longer than I have. Surely he knows more than I do. So they had this trust in who God was. They had work that brought shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means deep satisfaction. Adam was given a job before sin. Work is not the result of sin. Hard work is the result of sin. So he told Adam, here's going to be your job, and it's going to bring deep purpose and deep shalom to your soul. Some of you are thinking, how can work bring deep shalom to my soul? Have you ever been on a mission trip? You get to the end of it, and you're absolutely exhausted and absolutely satisfied because you've been working for God, doing the purposes of God. Work that brings shalom. You were gonna have a marriage that was made up of two people who were totally selfless. Eve, here's why you need to be married to Adam. He needs your help. Adam, here's why you're gonna be married to Eve. She needs your help. Can you imagine if the basis for marriage was I believe God called me to help you fulfill your purpose for the rest of your life. My goal is to help you be who God created you to be. That's the reason I wanna be married to you forever. Can you imagine being married to someone like that? If you ever have somebody say that to you and they can prove it with their actions, you should probably marry them. Marriage was totally selfless. You had family that brought blessing. Family was a total blessing. God's like, like um, fill the earth. Like, get after it. Go do it. Like, build a big old family. Um, be fruitful. Fill the earth. And you also had sexual innocence and trust with God, totally innocent trust of sexuality. Adam and Eve accepted who God had created them to be. They accepted what gender they were. They accepted what role they had. They accepted who they were married to. They accepted what God wanted them to do. Watch this very, very closely. Please don't miss this. In Genesis chapter two, 
Adam had permission to identify everything in the garden except himself. God said, I'm going to bring everything to you, and you get to place identity on everything I bring to you. But I am placing identity on you. You don't get to identify yourself. I have created you in my image for my purpose for this life. You don't identify you, I identify you. Listen, for those of you struggling with sexual identity, what God desires for you is not less than what you see in yourself. It's more than what you see in yourself. Because he sees that deep in Mago Day, deep, deep, deep in your soul. So Adam's like, I get to identify everything in the garden except myself. And God identifies me. So when we look at life as God intended, we're like, that's pretty good life. And right into the middle of this, this question is asked, Matthew 19, 7 and 8. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Like, if life was so good, why can we get divorced? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't supposed to be this way from the beginning. Let's look at life as God intended again. None of us, if we had these things evident in our life, most of us would not be looking to get out of that life. As a matter of fact, I dare say most of you are in church on Super Bowl Sunday because you're trying to figure out how to get into that life, not out of that life. Jesus says, remember, like before we talk about divorce, remember, remember the life God intended for you to have, the life God wanted you to have. They're like, well, if, if that's what God created, why would, any, why would anyone want to run from that? And Jesus is like, because your hearts are hard. Because your hearts are hard. And I'm going to steal from a famous astronaut here the first sin that Adam and Eve committed was one small step for Adam and Eve, but it was one giant leap for mankind because it like broke. It broke life as God intended life to be. Please write this down in the area of sexuality. You will have a trust problem before you have a lust problem. In the area of sexuality, in the area of brokenness, in the area of marriage, in the area of infidelity, in the area of adultery, in the area of pornography, you'll have a trust problem before you have a lust problem. You say, what, what do you mean by that? You will hear what God says, but you will not trust that for yourself and for your heart. We always have a trust problem before we have a lust problem. Here's how scripture says sin sits in our hearts. It says sin is birthed in attitudes, before it reaches actions. Sin is birthed in the attitude of our heart before it ever reaches the actions of our hands. Jesus' little brother James tells us this in James 1, 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, finally gives birth to death. Listen, before sin, please hear this clearly. Before sin is ever what you do. It's how you think. Before your sin is ever what you do, your sin is how you think. And the attitude of sin is this. It will always precede sinful actions. The attitude of sin is this. I think I know better than God in this area of my life for me. That's the attitude of sin. Any Christian that ever sins willfully by looking at pornography, by carrying on an inappropriate relationship, by as a teenager having sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend after homecoming or prom. Like any Christian who sins willfully sexually 
has an attitude problem before they have an action problem. They say, I know this is what God said, but here's what I think. And for me, I just disagree with God. We have an attitude problem before we have an action problem. This attitude always precedes sin, even when the promise seems too good to be true. This is Adam and Eve's story. Let's look one more time at life as God intended it. Intimacy with God, trusting God, work that brings shalom, selfless partnership of marriage, blessing a family, innocent trust of sexuality. Here's everything that God handed to Adam and Eve, and they said, I mean, that looks good, but what if we could, what if we could make it better? What if he's holding out on us? See, God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Please understand what that means. God said, please don't try to choose your own right and wrong. Trust mine. Trust what I say is right. Trust what I say is wrong. This is what your life will look like. And they were like, I don't, I just don't know that I want to give that level of control to someone that they can tell me what to do. I think we're going to try life our own way. And they go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they decide they want to determine right and wrong. They don't want God to determine right and wrong. And it broke everything. And God comes down and he says, man, like the consequences of that attitude and your actions, not good. In Genesis 3.16, God begins to unpack what sin has done to the world, people, marriage, sexuality. To the woman, he said, I'm going to make your pains in childbearing very severe. With pain for labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Like we went from family being a blessing to now like family's going to be hard. We went from marriage being great to marriage being hard. Verse 17 to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, you'll eat food from it. All the days of your life, it's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You're going to eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it, you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return like work was supposed to bring shalom. Now work is going to be hard every day because of sin. Verse 20 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said to them, the man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever in this brokenness. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim. Those are angels. And a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We've seen what God wants to give us in life. Now we see the legacy of hard-hearted sin. And it's just, it's just the opposite of everything God intended. Instead of having intimacy and trust with God, now our relationship with God is broken and we don't trust him. Regardless of whether or not we've heard the truth, we want to determine for ourselves whether or not we believe that is true. All of a sudden, instead of work bringing shalom, work breaks shalom. We can't wait till we're all done working so we can have shalom. That's like the whole purpose of a 401k in retirement. It's the whole purpose of the weekend. We want to get away from work so we can have shalom, even though work was supposed to bring shalom. All of a sudden, there's tension and selfishness in marriage. Marriage was supposed to be about me serving you for the rest of my life. Now marriage is about really you serving me for the rest of your life. I want what I want. I want you to give that to me. Instead of innocent trust in sexuality, we now see shame and confusion in sexuality. In verse 7, it says one of the first consequences of sin is Adam and Eve realized they were both naked and they were ashamed. And they hid from God and they covered themselves from each other. Please see this before sin 
Sexuality was something to be embraced before God, received from God. Now, after sin, sexuality turns inward, and it's something I don't give God access to, and it's something I hide from somebody else. It's mine. It's, it's, it's not become a part of me. It has become me. It's my thing now, my sexuality. That's a result of the fall. And then five, we see the blessing of family becomes the burden of family. Instead of fill the earth, we think more often now about kill the kids. Like it's like, like life is so hard. What has happened? Family was supposed to be the greatest blessing. And boy, those of you who've lived a few years know that family a lot of times is the greatest burden. Say, so what's happened? We decided our own right and wrong. You know, when we look at this legacy of hard-hearted sin, we need to go back to the conversation with Jesus because the question that Jesus heard, the question the Pharisees asked was this, when's it okay to get divorced? The question Jesus heard was this, um, when do we get to choose this? Hey, Jesus, we know God did the whole marriage thing, um, but if we don't want to do things God's way, when do we get to choose this life? And Jesus is like, why would you want to choose that life? Like you've got this thing God created for you. Why with your hard hearts would you rather have that life? See, the question from the Pharisees was meant to divide Jesus from his people. Watch this. And it was meant to divide Jesus' people from other Jesus' people so no one could ever be on the same page. The question of the Pharisees was meant to divide the answer of Jesus was meant to end that division, to bring God and people together, and to bring people and people together, specifically people and their families, their spouse, their kids, their spiritual families, life as God intended. This series is not just called Broken People, Sexuality, and Marriage. It's also called The Gospel of Grace. So we'll end every message, not with the bad news, but with the good news. Point number three is this. The gospel of grace is restoring all things one person at a time. Yeah, brokenness, still at work. Hard-hearted legacy, still going on. But the gospel of grace is restoring all things one person at a time. The Pharisees' question to Jesus was this. How can we in this world of sin live in such a way that we might earn God's favor? And Jesus said, you can't. But I can, and I will, and I will invite you into that relationship with me. And that relationship with me will change your heart so you desire what I desire. It'll change your hands so you have the ability to follow me. It'll change your heart so that you want for yourself what I want for you. And it'll give you the strength one moment at a time, one day at a time, to follow me into who I've created you to be. It won't be easy, but it's possible because the gospel of grace. The apostle Paul summarizes all of that in one verse in Colossians chapter one. We'll close with this verse and then we'll spend some time praying. Colossians 1, 19 through 22, we're reminded of the gospel of grace that is restoring all things one person at a time. It says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus... To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with hard-hearted people through his blood, his forgiveness shed on the cross. 
Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's the question of the Pharisees. How do we get holy before God? And Jesus says, it's going to take a relationship with me. Once you were alienated, you were separated from God. And you were separated from God because of the behavior of your mind. Your mind told you you knew better than God. But when you brought your sin to Jesus, he forgave it. And he changed your heart and your mind so you could now live in relationship with the one your heart seeks. Paul basically in Colossians 1 says we were alienated from God. Our minds were against God. Our behaviors were against God. But then we met Jesus. And that just changed everything. We met Jesus and that changed everything. The bottom line of today's message, and we got five more fortunately or unfortunately for you. God is still healing broken people. God is still healing broken sexuality. God is still healing broken marriages in this space of grace that we find ourselves in today. I wish I had far more to say in this message than I have time to say because this topic and I think this content is so important. Every week of this series, I'll be giving a recommendation for further reading, Um, probably 10 to 12 books by the time we get done. This week's recommendation is the book Loveology by John Mark Comer. Phenomenal book by a pastor from Portland who has lived on the front edge of teaching through broken people, sexuality and marriage for more than a decade. Loveology, God, love, marriage, sex, and the never-ending story of male and female. It's a really easy read if you've got your sermon notes. I think there's a QR code that you can click on and buy this. If not, get on your Amazon account, buy this, read it this week. It'll be great extra reading as you work your way through what we've learned today. But let me close by saying this. The file folder on my computer that this message is saved in in a Word document is a, uh, is a folder that I titled Broken Grace, just so that I could like abbreviate the name of the series, Broken Grace. And as I finished this message and I went to put it in the folder this week, I thought, man, that's a bad name. Because about the only thing in the world that's not broken is the grace of God. Your marriage may have broken a couple times. The grace of God is still for you. Your lust and your activity on the internet may have broken some things. The grace of God is still for you. In a crowd this large, there are certainly those of you who have been broken by a sexual abuser in your past. The grace of God is still here for you. There's students over here who emotionally have been broken by mom and dad's divorce. The grace of God is enough for you. Whatever you're going through today, there's a lot of things in the world that are broken. Grace is not one of them. It still works and the door is still open. And if you are willing to live in the lane of, I believe what God says and the behavior of Jesus is for me, and we invite you to continue deeper into this relationship with Jesus. We always close by giving you three questions on the screen to kind of pray through. At the end of that, we're gonna have just a little time of dismissal, but we're gonna keep our auditorium pretty muted, pretty, um, pretty low key, because our spiritual care team's gonna come, and if you're in here today and you need prayer for your marriage, um, for your past, for your parents, for your addiction, for any area of brokenness, 
in the areas of your life, your lust, your sexuality, your marriage, any, any of those areas that are broken in your past. If you say, man, I just need someone to pray for me today. It'd be our tremendous honor to do that. We're going to give you three minutes to kind of scroll through some questions. I'll come close with some prayer, and then we'd love to minister to you one-on-one today if we can. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for life as you intended it and the little moments. Lord, the little moments of intimacy with you and trust in you. The little moments of when work brings shalom. The little moments of selflessness in marriage. The little moments of blessing from family. The little moments of innocent trust sexually. Those glimpses are just glimpses of what could be eternally if we would learn to lean into you and the gospel of your grace. So God, as we reflect, open our hearts and minds to answer questions honestly and give us the courage and the ability to live through the tension of the next six weeks as we learn truth um, and figure out how to live in grace. It's our prayer. We pray you help us today in Jesus' name. Amen.